everyone. Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I thought I would talk about River Phoenix. Of course, I think we all know about the late actor River Phoenix, who is the brother of Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I mean, he has a lot of other siblings, but Joaquin Phoenix is probably the next most famous uh, sibling of his. And he passed away in 1993, River did. And some of you probably know or don't know that he actually had a band for a brief period of time named Alica's Attic. And even though we know River Phoenix as being an actor, he was in such films like Stand By Me in the 80s when he was young with Corey Feldman, some other awesome actors in that film. He was also in My Own Private Idaho with Keanu Reeves and Flea the Bassist of Red Hot Chili Peppers was in there as well. He's done a lot of really interesting films that has spanned his acting career, but Since this is a podcast dedicated to music, I thought I would step in to share about River's life and how music was actually his big passion and give you guys a bit of information on Alaka's Attic. So without further ado, I am just going to jump in there and tell you guys a bit about River Phoenix and his background, his upbringing. So River was born River Jude Phoenix on August 23rd, 1970. In Oregon, his parents named him after the River of Life from the novel, said Arthur, and he got his middle name from the Beatles song, Hey Jude. So that's how he got his name, River Jude Phoenix. And Phoenix is not their actual last name. Their last name is actually Bottom. And River actually classified his family as hippies because they would travel a lot. And the thing about River's upbringing is it would really solidify how River would act in his later life. Obviously, the formative years when you're very young, it shapes how you are as an adult. Just based on a lot of information from the chaotic energy that was around him at this time, his parents, they were hippies in the 60s, in the 70s, and they met uh, one day when his mother was hitchhiking in California in 1968, and she happened to meet River's father, John Bottom, and the two of them fell in love. And at this time in American history... For some reason, I'm not sure if this was coupled with the fact that it was the 60s and it was the free love movement, people were starting to rebel against society, kids were just doing what they wanted to do, organized religions became like a safe haven for these misfit people that didn't have a place in society anymore, like these hippies, you know what I'm saying? And so they found themselves in a religious cult, and it is a cult. It's called the Children of God, and I'm not going into it because it's depraved, it's disgusting, it's sick, you know, it involves uh, relations with adults and children. It's disgusting. So this is the religious sect, the cult that Rivers' family was around for a very long time, and how this operation worked within the Children of God was they would recruit missionaries, right? So Rivers' family... They actually settled in Caracas, Venezuela in the early 70s. River was very young at this point. Him and his family, they moved to Venezuela to preach the word of the children of God and try to recruit people into the cult. And what they would do is, because they were so poor in Venezuela, they were living day to day on scraps of food or no food. They actually hustled their children. It was River and his younger sister, Rain, that they would push to busk on the streets of Venezuela to get money 
for the family and also, again, to preach the word of the children of God. So River and Rain, they together from a very early age learned um, how to musically play off of each other, how to sing with each other, but also River learned how to play the guitar from a very young age. And that's where he kind of, it's funny because like music universally is the thing where it's like a security blanket for you. So while River was dealing with the horrific nature of living in the poor streets of Venezuela, his parents pushing him from a, from a young age to earn money for the family, being in this uh, religious cult where they forced children with adults. It's just horrible and depraved and, and disgusting. River turned to music from an early age to help him. And unfortunately, that would shape how he later in life turned to drugs to ease his pain, right? So this is the start of River and who River Phoenix was. Now, it was only after the family would leave Venezuela and would actually leave the children of God that they then were to change their last name to Phoenix. Obviously, we know symbolically the Phoenix is arising from the ashes, right? So they wanted to be reborn. They were no longer the bottom family. They were now the Phoenix family. So that's kind of the basic rundown of just his childhood in that aspect. People knew that he was a talented kid, he was a good-looking kid, that he was making money for his family. His parents thought it was a great idea for the family to up and move to Los Angeles so that River could be an actor and a model and could make money for the family that way. His face could sell anything, right? Just, it's absolute madness. This family is madness to me. I can't wrap my mind around how the parents could be okay with pushing their young child into stardom like that and be okay with it. And then their kid suffers because of it and doesn't have a normal childhood because of this. It's just mad to me, but that's what they ended up doing. So they moved to Los Angeles so that River could start his acting career. River was actually a young protege, actually. Everyone said that River was a great kid. He was very talented, very sensitive, very smart for his young age. And obviously, his horrible upbringing had to do with that because he had to be an adult at a young age. So from what I can recall, um, his role in Stand By Me, and I believe his character's name was Chris Chambers in that film. His character in the film has a dysfunctional family, obviously. I think all kids in that film had a dysfunctional family in one way or another. But River said that Chris Chambers, that role was actually the role that he resonated with the most in his life. And it's something that was really hard for him to grapple with because he could relate. He was also in an Indiana Jones film where I believe he played a young Harrison Ford in that film, from my recollection. But anyway, he's done a bunch of movies. He's been with so many amazing actors and actresses. But music has always been the source of comfort for him and something that he always really genuinely wanted to do. Acting was fine, and obviously it made the family a lot of money, which is what the parents wanted for him, but River really wanted to do music. Um, So one of these films that River would do when he was very young, it was called A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon, and this was done in 1986, and if I recall, River was maybe 17 or 18 years old. River was actually showing his musical talents very early on with 
the films that he did, and this was one of the first examples that he would do with music correlating to his acting, River had written a song for the film, and it was going to be played in the credits. Um, however, for some reason, it was cut from the film. River's song and the end credits in that aspect were cut from the film. It was only in a later director's cut edition of this film that the director decided to add it back. It's actually genuinely amazing, the song. Um, I actually tried to edit it as best I could because it wasn't that great of quality. And I'll put the link down below in the description. It's on my SoundCloud if you guys want to listen to it. Um, that was one of his first instances of a song that he wrote, performed, recorded himself, and was to be featured in a film in a major way in his life. So it was during filming that River met Chris Blackwell of Island Records, and this meeting would later secure River a two-year deal with the label. Um, so basically, this deal, in a nutshell, was that in two years' time, River could form a band and release an album. And if it wouldn't happen in two years, then the deal would be scrapped. Um, and I think two years is a pretty decent amount of time. I mean, at least as far as my understanding goes, I'd say that's pretty generous of Island Records to just give him a deal out of nowhere. River said, okay, cool. Um, so he ends up buying a farmhouse for his family, River did, with the money that he earned from the films. He ended up buying a family house in Florida, and the family then moved to Florida. Um, Florida was kind of their homestead, and Gainesville is kind of where they would hang out the most and is the area that they're known for. But he bought a house in McCanopy, and I hope I said that correctly, and the thing about the family farm that's important as well in the story is that the family, his family, his parents would take transient people and keep them on the farm and have them live on the farm. So they would be farm helpers. They would even do such things as carry groceries in the house. They would, you know, wash the cars. They would uh, clean the house, you know, tend to the farm. It was like a bunch of transient people in and out of this family farm that River bought for his family absolute madness. I mean, the the Phoenix family itself, they had a lot of children on their own, but then they just out of nowhere start bringing in transient people to give them a one-up on life, which on one hand is nice, but on the other hand, it's a lot for River to have to take on because he bought a family house at like 17, 18 years old, and the parents just are bringing in all these random people into the house. It's just so strange to me, but that's kind of what ended up happening in this timeline. So they moved to Florida. River said, okay, let's come up with a band then. If I'm on this deal with Island Records, let's come up with a band. So this band would be Alaka's Attic. Now the original lineup for the band included River as lead singer and guitarist. His younger sister Rain also sang and played various percussion instruments like tambourine, etc, etc. Tim Hankins played the viola, Josh McKay played the bass, and Josh Greenbaum was the drummer. So that, in a nutshell, is Alaka's Attic. So the band name, how that came about, you're like, what the heck does Alaka's Attic even mean? Well, it basically was, from my understanding, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to verbally say, because it is really weird, but essentially, from my understanding, River had some kind of vision or dream or something where in this dream there was a person named Alaka and this person was a poet philosopher 
And this person gathered friends in his attic to discuss his philosophy ideas. And then suddenly when Alaka dies, they form a band to share his beliefs with others through music. This is like the vision or the dream or something that River one day miraculously thinks of. And he's like, Alaka's Attic, that's a good name for a band. So that's kind of uh, how the name started. So as I mentioned, right, River and his family, they moved to McCanopy, Florida. Immediately, River turns the garage into his own recording studio, and he dubbed it The Attic as well, right? So he's now trying to form a band. He had his childhood friend, John Greenbaum, who came in, and they would occasionally rehearse together. Obviously, Rain living there in the family house would sometimes occasionally see them in the garage, and she would join them as well. So how John McKay came aboard was John McKay actually was in a defunct band in Texas called... Oh, this is so, this is like a tongue twister. Joshua Misho. Oh my God. Joshua Misho. That's so hard for me to say. Um, but he was in that band in Texas. And funnily enough, somehow an A&R representative found John McKay. She thought that John and River would get along musically. So she ended up being the bridging connection to River and John. River ends up sending John some home demos with songs on them, which were very raw and unfiltered obviously, uh, just to show John like what he's capable of doing and what the vibe was. And immediately John was like, yeah, this is amazing. This is great. Like I'm over here doing anthropology classes and really considering doing a, a different career and, and really going to music specifically. So for John, this was like a no brainer. This fit with his vibe. And he was like, I'm in, sign me up. The interesting thing about John was he was a trained guitarist um, so he actually taught himself how to play the bass specifically for Alaka's Attic. I find that genuinely to be so interesting. Uh, and he made bass parts to go over what River had sent him, and he sent those tapes back to River. So Josh Greenbaum, like I mentioned briefly, he was a childhood friend of River's from when they were living in Florida. Um, and so River knew Josh, and he knew that Josh was a good drummer. Josh was actually in a heavy metal band prior to Alaka's Attic, the band that he was in, he quit, and the band changed their name to Saigon Kick, which apparently became a really famous heavy metal band. I personally don't know them. Sorry if you know them and I totally offended you, but I personally don't know Saigon Kick. The name sounds familiar, but I haven't listened to a tune of theirs, at least from my recollection. Uh, so Josh and John already had musical talents as well under their belt prior to joining Alaka's Attic, which obviously that helps. Because Josh already had this style of drumming that was heavy metal focused, he unlearned how to play the drums in that really hard heavy metal kind of way to change it to a more subdued sound with complex rhythm changes so that he could fit the vibe with what Alaka's Attic was supposed to be. And Alaka's Attic, by the way, they weren't um, hardcore or rocking in any sense. They were more kind of like indie folk they were kind of rocky, but they were they were very indie. They were very folk-based. And if that's not your vibe, then fair enough. Um, but from what I've heard, I think they sound great. So during the first year of the band's deal with Island Records, John and Josh stayed on the farm with River and lived with the family. The band started off doing a small tour of the East Coast, slowly acquiring a following in the Gainesville, Florida music scene. And obviously, Tim would later come along as well and would complete... Alaka's Attic. While River was doing Alaka's Attic, he was also doing 
his films as well. So River was committed, however, to gaining credibility by his own merit and maintained that the band would not use his name when securing performances that were not benefits for charity. So that's the thing about River is he was a very selfless person. He didn't want to do anything that wouldn't benefit someone else or he would do something that would benefit like animals. He was a vegan. He was for the organization called PETA, which is a bit controversial because that company is a bit sus in my opinion. Uh, But back in the day, that was like the only company that were advocates for animals. And so River was all for PETA you know, making sure that the less fortunate were helped and if he could help them, he would do it. And any time that River would be interviewed for Alaka's Attic, which wasn't often, by the way, I tried so hard, very hard to find a juicy amount of information and lush detail for Alaka's Attic. There isn't a lot of interviews that they did because they only lasted a few short years before River passed away. Uh, But in any interview, it was known that River would not answer purposefully any question that had to do with his uh, movie career. He only wanted to talk about the music in the band. The first release that Alka's Attic would do is a song called Across the Way, and this was co-written by River and Josh McKay. It was released in 1989 for a benefit album that PETA was doing called Tame Yourself. The thing about Alka's Attic as well is they never actually got together to record an album, and that's the unfortunate thing, because that's what the whole two-year deal with Island Records was about. Um, They only released um, incrementally a couple of songs, but they never actually got around to releasing an album of any kind. River also wrote and recorded a spoken word piece called Curry Curry for Milton Nascimento's album. I hope I said that right as well. Also in 1971, Alaka's Attic did a song called Too Many Colors, and this was used in the film My Own Private Idaho. I think My Own Private Idaho is probably the most popular movie that River has done that I would say most people know him for or have at least heard of the film. Aside from Stand By Me, I think that film, I think that film really solidified River in his later years as an actor in some aspects. And Keanu Reeves was in that film, and that's where the two of them became best buds. So... As time was going on, River was doing films and trying to do Alaka's Attic at the same time, occasionally doing a couple of tours every now and then with the band, occasionally going into the studio and recording some songs. It wasn't anything major. 1992 comes along and River was so ecstatic by the prospect of getting a major role in a film called Sneakers, and this would star major, major actors such as Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, and Sidney Poitier. So that's insane. The film's actually pretty decent from my recollection. It's been a very long time since I watched that film, but it's pretty good. Um, so River was excited because obviously being in a big film like that would A, get his name and message out there, but B, would bring in more money so that he could give out money to people that he wanted to give money out to. For example, his parents made him give his younger sister Liberty money for her college tuition. And again, with the whole fact of River bought his family a farmhouse. You know what I'm saying? Like, he could never just be a kid or a young adult. And his parents were was always using the money that he would get from his films into other people's pockets. Very sad. But that's just how it went for River. Uh, so River was very excited by the prospect of getting in this film, Sneakers, at the time. And the band was waiting for him in Gainesville, Florida. Um, just kind of 
teeter-tottering on what they should do about this because the unfortunate thing is River would go away for months at a time to film and then he would come back. He wouldn't have as much time for the band. And so the band was like hung up, like they didn't know what to do. John McKay said, we were talking about going to LA and instead of making the record, the band would practice when River was doing the film. And I sort of just crumbled under that concept. So yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. Half the band was like, I'm done. I don't want to waste my life anymore. I can't do this anymore. The other half was like, I'll go to LA with you. Why not? So uh, John McKay and Tim were the frustrated ones out of the group, and they opted to stay in Florida while Josh Greenbaum went to LA with River and Rain while River was doing this film and other obligations and things. So while in LA, they recorded some demos for Island Records. Josh would go on to say those two demos that we did in LA, those were pretty much the crux of the deal. That was it. We had already gone over the two-year thing. I began to look for things to keep myself busy. I decided that I can't just live for this one thing anymore. I gotta make stuff happen. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way that Alica's attic started to crumble because River just was so busy doing his films that he wouldn't have a lot of time to dedicate to the band and the, and the rest of the band were just kind of waiting for him, not really knowing what to do. And the two-year deal with Island Record had already expired. They couldn't keep it up anymore, so it had to eventually fall to the wayside. And Alica's Addict disbanded in 1992 after only four years together. But River continued writing and performing. So in 1993, River was working on the film called The Thing Called Love, and he was working on that film with his then-girlfriend, Samantha Mathis. And the film is great, by the way. Like, that film has to be one of my favorite later later year uh, River m movies that he's done. It's so interesting. In that film, he plays, like, an angsty folk singer. If you haven't seen it, I would suggest watching it. So in that film, he sings and he plays guitar. That's a good film to see him actually performing and singing. It's really uh, fascinating. So he wrote and recorded the song Lone Star State of Mind for the film, which he performs in the movie, but also he did another tune called Until Now and a couple of others for that film. Like I mentioned, right? Alakazadik disbanded and they never had the capacity to record and release an album in River's time, but also ever, to be honest. <laughs> so... They were proposing, though, coming out with an album, and proposed titles for this album were Never Odd or Even and Zero. Obviously, they were postponed due to River's death in 1993, Halloween, so... But even then, after that point, they never really released an album. They just occasionally released a couple of songs. Just to let you know, River died in a very tragic way, Halloween 1993, at the Viper Room, which at the time was a nightclub owned by Johnny Depp. So, after River's passing, Rain spent two years wading through unfinished tracks and mixing performances from Alaka's Attic, though no finished product was ever completed. Former members of Alaka's Attic and River's family were having communication issues regarding what to do with the music that they had and how they should release it. Josh Greenbaum and John McKay had readily signed a release form allowing their tracks to be used and to be put out there to the masses, but other people in the band and River's family didn't really want to do that. According to Josh, he says the reason River signed with Island in the first place was because he obviously wanted to get his music out to the world. I just wanted to see that happen, even if I never see a penny from it. 
that would make the investment of five years of my life worth it. I would absolutely heartily agree. I think actually the public would react very positively to a full-length Alaka's Attic album all these years later. Um, so in 1996, the Alaka's Attic track Note to a Friend was officially released on the 1996 Benefit album In Defense of Animals Volume 2, and this was, to my recollection, another PETA album, and it featured Flea on bass. You know, this is the thing about Alakazadic as well, is that their music had a message to it. It wasn't always just about singing about the basic, I suppose, themes of typical songs like love and loss and death and finding yourself and spiritual awareness or whatever. He, They actually really wanted to put a message in their music, which is why they were so readily on board with doing these songs for like these PETA albums and and benefit concerts and things like that and for charity like that's really what Alka's Attic was all about. So in River's life he actually collaborated with John Frusciante and these tracks were to be later released on Frusciante's second solo album called Smiles from the Streets You Hold in 1997. The songs that River did with John Frusciante were Height Down and Well I've Been. So if you want to listen to those tracks to hear what River did with John Frusciante, check them out. And this is a really, 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 really cool fact that I just thought was cool. River was an investor in the original House of Blues. Now, the House of Blues, I don't know necessarily if this is a worldwide thing or if this is only in America. Um, however, the House of Blues is basically a restaurant gigging place, also like museum for music. Um, I've been to the House of Blues in Cambridge, actually, and the Cambridge location in Massachusetts is actually the original location um, that was opened on Thanksgiving Day in 1992. Who but Dan Aykroyd is actually the founder of the House of Blues, and Dan Aykroyd obviously starred with River Phoenix in the film he did called Sneakers, and I just thought that was really cool that River was an investor in the House of Blues. In 1997, Michael Stripe of R.E.M. bought all of the rights to Alaka's Attic from Island Records because it was just simply sitting in Island Records' vault, if you will, not doing anything. And so Michael Stripe wanted to honor River's memory because he genuinely cared for River and I think it went to a good friend. So I'm glad that it went to him. Nothing much happened after that until December 2018 when Rain Phoenix herself announced on Instagram that Alaka's Attic would be releasing some singles in 2019 with a small album. It wasn't a big album. It was like an EP, if you will, um, being released the following year in 2019. The songs that Alaka's Attic were to be released on this like EP project were Where I'd Gone and Scales and Fishtails. And then Rain did a song with Michael Stripe called Time is the Killer. I remember hearing this news and being so excited that this was happening and I could finally hear some songs from River that I hadn't heard before. It is really nice to have. And then in 2019 as well, the Alaka's Attic song called In the Corner Dunce was also released by the label Left Launch. That's probably, hmm, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, that's probably the most well-known Alaka's Attic song in the Corner Dunce, River does a great job in that tune. It's really uh, funky and like different. It's really, really cool. And then in 2020, August the 23rd, Flea appeared on two unreleased Alaka's Attic songs to Mark Rivers' 50th birthday. 
The label Left Launch released the songs Alone You Elope and 2x4 to mark that occasion. That's really all the news and information that I have on Alaka's Attic. There's not really a lot, unfortunately. That was all I could possibly find. I did happen to come across, though, this article that the Tampa Bay Times did in August of 1990, where the writer for this article was actually there at an Alaka's Attic concert. And they just kind of talked about the band a little bit. And I kind of wanted to share some quotes that he said of the time. And I thought that was really cool. So he says that the group combines shades of psychedelic 60s nostalgia with cutting edge lyrics about contemporary issues. The Phoenix family is especially vocal about animal rights. He then says that River Phoenix takes an artistic and onstage backseat to the band's other members who demonstrated flawless musicianship. He then says this about Rain. Rain Phoenix, River's sister, solves the eternal problem of what the vocalist should do when she's not singing by enlivening the instrumental segments of the show with her sinuous, tai chi-like dance steps. And then he goes on to say, finally, accomplished bass player Josh McKay and drummer Josh Green provided a propulsive rhythm section. Tim Hankins added a fluid, mellifluous tone to the music with his delightful sawing on the crossbow-shaped electric viola. Unfortunately, River just had a really difficult life. I didn't want to get into his death and the details surrounding a lot of his personal life after you know a certain point because it gets a bit bleak it gets a bit dark and I just I didn't want to do that I just really wanted to focus on the music because music has been a love of rivers from his very first day on this planet and even though he had to use it to feed his family when he was a toddler like four or five years old up until he died at 23 he found a way to love music and make sure that he used his name. He always used his name and his fame to the good of others and that it benefited other people. And that was how selfless he was. So what I may or may not do, I don't know yet, is maybe put together a playlist of Alaka's Addict's songs that are available and that are good. Um, And I'll leave that as well in the description if you'd like to check that out, just so you guys can hear what it's all about. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys have an awesome day and I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. Talk to you guys later. Bye guys.